Now, praise the Lord. This is Brother Julius Hadeomi. I'm going through the Gospel of Luke. We are now in chapter 18. And I go step by step, read verse by verse, and stop and comment on it as we go on and give some explanation wherever there is, as the Lord leads. Chapter 18, verse 1. And he spake, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubled me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he be along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? So this parable is telling us what? Perseverance in prayer. Consistent perseverance. Because he said this judge, who was not respecting anybody, didn't fear God either. Because if you fear God, you want to do the right thing. I say, widow that needed help, that needed to be defended in court. They avenge me of my adversary. Some people are troubling that widow. And she came and cried to that judge. And he just doesn't care. He's a widow, doesn't matter. He doesn't fear God. And because God said they should treat the widows well. That's why the Bible said, the Bible said, the judge doesn't fear God. What about man? He doesn't respect man or any man. It's like he's authoritarian in himself. He doesn't care whether this man is a wealthy person, a rich person. He doesn't try to please anybody. So that was what this story said. But this widow woman that will not be able to give him anything, money or bribe or anything, no, kept coming. He said, but the man refused to just listen to the widow. But the woman kept coming. That's what she said. She weary me. He said, well, better get rid of this widow woman by answering her request. Otherwise, she will weary me because of constant coming, constant coming, constant coming. So Christ is saying that is how our prayer life also should be. When it looks like God is not responding, keep on knocking on the door. Keep on banging on the door until you almost weary him. Also. That is really what uh, this is telling us. And he said, um, what about if this judge said he was going to be weary by this widow and the judge was himself unjust, how about a just God? You don't need to ask Two, three times before he come to your head, no so. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he be along with him? The God will avenge your spirit. Especially at the time to do what he said, we should begin to pray that I cannot come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. That is part of coming to come and take over this world, avenge us. And the people in the that are dead in Christ also are crying in the paradise. They how long, only and true. In the book of Revelation, chapter six, when he opened one of the seals, I think the fifth seal. He said, you are crying unto God from under the altar. When will you avenge us? So God is saying, patient, patient, patient. But God is going to avenge the, the sins, the holy people. 
That's what the Lord was talking about. He said, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he be along with them? He said, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So God is going to avenge us and take the family back very soon as we have been crying to God. He said, We should begin to pray that thy kingdom come, Lord. That's what we pray every night now. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, and take over this kingdom of this world. We pray in the spirit, in the tongues. But nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the other? That is, when he comes back, will people still be believing? Will the people still be believing? Because people, after they pray and pray, and it look like uh, they are not getting the answer, they sometimes give up. He didn't want us to give up. Keep praying, keep believing. Now, when you look at that, he, I talk about they were crying to him there. Now, let me point to that book of Revelation where the Bible says, when the lamb opened one of the seals in Revelation chapter 6, that there was uh, the souls of them are crying from under the altar. That is the, the, uh, the souls of the saints. That is that chapter, Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, these are the Christians, and for the testimony which they held, holy people. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? See, they are crying for vengeance also. And they are calling unto the judge to come and avenge them, avenge their blood. And verse 11 says, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So you can see that was what the Lord was referring to also in this uh, Luke chapter 18 that, that we are reading, where he said, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night? So the people that are on the other side that have already died, you are crying unto God. They are not, they are not dead. They are alive to God. Even though their body is dead in the grave, but their spirit and soul still pray. How long, Lord? And the Lord said, wait till this patient. And we that are not, that Christians are waiting, also crying unto the Lord, come Lord Jesus. So that's why he said, you are crying day and night unto him. And though he be along with us, he's going to come and avenge us. Let's go to verse 9 of Luke chapter 18 we are reading. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now every parable here has a meaning. So this, so this particular one is talking to those who are self-righteous. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. I'm not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Or even as this publican over there. I mean, the publican was in the temple also praying. So he pointed to a pointed to the publican, and even as this publican. And then he was trying to quote everything that he does that is right. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 13 says, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. The smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. And the publican realized he, he had been living in sin, that he needed mercy from God, whatever he's going to ask for. To be merciful unto me, a sinner. Verse 13 says, I tell you, this man, that's that publican, went down to his house justified 
rather than the other. Justify me was counted as just. I mean, God accepted his prayer. It's counted as just, holy, acceptable. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. So that Pharisee that he said was praying and say, I am this, I am that, I am that, I am great, I am not like all these unbelievers and educators and doctors and things. If you are preaching to them, it's one thing. If you are telling them to repent another thing, but don't brag that before God as if that's that makes you close to, uh, you, are, you are just like in power with God. You humble yourself before God. We are nothing. That's why I say we should be, we, are, we should say we are unprofitable servants. When we are dealing with, we are talking to God, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. So when you ask, when you want to ask anything from God, come with that humble asking for mercy from God. Don't flag your righteousness because our righteousness is like filthy rags. You can plead the blood of Jesus that makes us to be righteous. Plead the blood of Jesus, Lord. With your blood, we are clinging unto. Not our righteousness. God is looking at us through the blood of Jesus Christ and saying, We are clean. And we are purged. Even though we are doing something right, we are no more committing sins since the day we are born again. But we should still come to God with thank you, Lord, for saving us through your, by your blood. And that is what, has, what is acceptable God. Because then we are acknowledging God that it is God's righteousness, not our own righteousness. They say, Their righteousness is of me. What God said in the book of Isaiah chapter 54. Verse 17. Our righteousness is of the Lord our God, not our own. When we stand against Satan, it's not in our own righteousness. It is in the righteousness of the Almighty God that washes us with his own blood. So our righteousness is of the Lord our God. That is what Isaiah chapter 54 was saying. God was giving a promise to his people. And he said, Well, the devil will like to say they are not righteous. Why are you going to do this for them? Look at what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 54. Verse 17. This is the promise of God. He said, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Let's talk to his people. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn thee. Somebody is going to be standing against us in judgment. So we shall condemn that tongue. So this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Anyone that is serving the Lord, we Christians are like servants of the Lord. And he said, this is our heritage. It is our what we inherit in, in God. And their righteousness is of me, said the Lord. So which means the devil can say, these people are not righteous. Look at what that one did. Look at what that one did. Look at what that man not even greeting is, is, a, is a church member. This one I agree with one another. They will, they will point to many things we, that we cannot stand before God and say we didn't, we didn't uh, offend. But God said, uh, we still say no, no weapon should come against us. Why? Because they are righteousness is of God. God is the one that gave us his own righteousness. We are just justified. That's what the Bible says about this. This man that was said to be a publican, that everybody knows is a sinner, he did his cheating, he's doing that, he's taking the tax that he collected and pocketed some of their money, and they call him sinner. That's in that publican say, Be merciful unto me, and God say, You are justified me, you have not done anything wrong. Even though he has done some things wrong, God say, I justify you. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, We are justified when we come to Christ. It is the righteousness of God now we are claiming. Not our own righteousness. When we stand against Satan, it is the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we are washed by his blood. And that makes God to answer our prayer every time. Now, we are now in verse 15 of Luke chapter 18 is what we are reading. And he brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. 
But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God, as a little child, shall in no wise enter the end. Now this particular passage that was put here by Luke, I think in Matthew, he actually linked it to the fact that they were talking about when they were discussing marriage and divorce, and Christ said that this is what it is, what it should be. And he said, if it is, this is the case between a man and his wife, it's not worth to marry. That's what the disciples were thinking. Well, no man can separate except, except for politics. He said, it's not worth to marry. And then he said that, right? No, not everybody can take that. No, but not everybody can, can, can accept that thing. There are some eunuchs that are like that. There are some eunuchs that are born, you know, some are made, you know. Anyone that can let them receive it. Almost like the disciples then would have said, gee, marriage is not what it is. It was that episode that they brought these little children and they said, well, get the children away. They were thinking the women are the problem. No, the women are not the problem. But the children are the problem. The children are not the problem. Because they say, oh, let the suffer little children to come up to me. Forbid them not. Anyone that will not take the kingdom of God, I'll say little child, be teachable. Be humble like a little child. Be teachable like a little child. So you will not enter into it. So that was, but it was put here point blank, like just to take a passage and put it in the midst of passages by Luke, who was perhaps not there when the discussion in Matthew was discussed. Verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good. Save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not be a false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, it is the man's wealth, it was what he, he was thinking about. But see, the proposal God gave to him would have given him a wealth of heaven. Also. But the apostles are following Lord Jesus Christ, even though they were killed and crucified and persecuted and scattered on the earth, but their names were inscribed in the city of God for eternity. So that when God is going to come down with the new city, these apostles will have their names written in that city. Is your name written anywhere? You have a street anywhere even in your own city? You just look at some shepherds, some fishermen. Their names written on the city of God for eternity. What a glorious bargain. What a glorious price they were giving. So this man thought of the wealth he has on that. Oh, he was sad and sober. But see, if he has done what Jesus Christ said and follow, he will have been one of those that will be having a street, maybe, maybe a street name in Jerusalem, in New Jerusalem that's coming, or whatever it is. But see, people are, are very short-sighted. We are short-sighted. We only look in this hundred year or not that we think we are somebody. We are forgetting about eternity. We do not know about that eternity. And that is what we should be shooting for, eternity. Eternity is more important than the short lifespan we have on earth. So that verse 23 is what we are reading. He said, when the man, this man heard that he, he has to have treasure in heaven, he was very sorrowful. He, went for, he was very rich. Verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, 
How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I mean, Lord said it's more difficult. Verse 26, and they that hardly said, who then can be saved? I mean, they were almost like in a, in a perplexity. If this man that has been doing all this thing right, they say, I've been keeping all this law of Moses all my life. What do I need? What more do I lack? He said, well, you know, not to be perfect. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You have treasure in heaven. They come and follow me. And the man was sad because for him to sell everything, he's going to become poor. Also. He didn't want to be poor. He's relying on those things for his wealth or not. He didn't know about the eternity, the future I was just mentioning. 100 years is what we have, 120 years is what we have on this side. If anybody will live that 100 years, 120 years. The eternity is longer than that, it's forever. And God is going to give a new body. Because say, when people are dead, they will be just spirits. No, they will be given a new body, eternal body, that will never die anymore. And it's eternity. So that's why Christ is saying, for a man that is dependent on his riches, it's very tough for him to be able to dispose of that riches. Verse 27, when the disciples say, who then can be saved? Just say, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now, verse 28, Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. In fact, in the other chapter, Matthew said, after he said, we have left all and followed thee, what shall we have? Then what shall we have? What's our bargain? That's what it seems to be, they are bargaining with Christ also. Verse 29, and he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time. And in the world to come, life everlasting. The world to come is what we are waiting for. The world to come is the eternal, the, king, the kingdom of Christ that is coming, and is the world to come, where we are going to live and live with Christ forever and ever. Then you have a life everlasting. But even right now, when you forsake everything because your parents persecute you for Christ's sake, because you give yourself to Christ and they don't want to, want to have that religion, if you follow Christ to the end, you are going to be in among the believers that will take you in like, your brothers, your father, your friends, and that's why we are accepted to be, we are calling as a brethren. We are brethren, we are family. When you come to Christ, you become family of Christ. So that you now have a father among you. You have, they are just your family members now. Forget about the family that wanted to kill you because they say you have changed your religion. You have a little, that's why I say, manifold more, right? In this world you have, but then in the world to come, you have everlasting life. Now verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Now the Lord was already telling them before it happened about his crucifixion, that he was going to go to Jerusalem, and he was going to suffer, and be crucified, and but on the third day we rise again. But Sarifah said, they understood none of these things. It looked like, uh, like, how can that happen? They didn't understand what he was talking about, that he will be, this will happen to him. But he always say, on the third day we rise again, so that kind of set their mind away. It's like uh, something that not to be worried about. Also. And his Bible said, and they understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Verse 35. 
And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before, rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. That he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What will thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Now that is the faith of this man. You say, what is faith in that? He, he, he had heard the story that there is a rabbi called Jesus, son of David, and they are supposed to say he is the Messiah, and he is healing the blind, he makes the blind to see, and this man was blind, he said, oh my goodness, if this man can come by here, oh God, oh God, save me. But it's because, how is he going to find this man? The man is in Galilee. He's going to take him to Galilee. But he believed these things that he was hearing, and then one day he was begging on the street, and he heard that commotion, people were running, helter skelter. Help me, help me, what's going on? What's going on? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. <gasps> that's Jesus that they are sick and open the eyes of the blind. That's why he started screaming. He's coming the street, yes, coming the street, yes. Started screaming. Jesus, son of David, God bless upon me. And the people that say, Oh, ye, this is insult. This is rude. Stop it. No, he was not going to stop it. He kept on crying, kept on screaming, so that it was loud enough that anybody nearby will hear him screaming. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus Christ stopped and said, bring that man. And they brought him. Look at what Jesus Christ said. Let's say, what will thou that I should do unto you? That's amazing. Lord always asks, what do you want me to do? Lord saw that he was blind. Yeah? That's not mean that that's what the man wanted. Maybe he needed food. If you say, well, I've never eaten since three days. I've not got enough money to buy food. Oh, everybody could donate some money to him. And walk his way. But no. The man was not talking about that. The man has heard the story of miracle. He could get his eye back, prepare that. That's why he said, well, that I may receive my sight. So well, you believe that? Yeah, receive your sight. And the man was healed. So you have to make sure you are asking for what you really, the most important thing in your heart is what you ask for. The most important thing in your heart is what you want to ask for. Also. Happiness upon you, God. And when he say, what do you want me to do for you? Ask for the most important thing in your heart. You say, well, yeah, I need a job, or I need money, or I need this. What is the most important thing you have? Look at the same story, what you see in the story of King Solomon. He was made king, was a young man, but he has elders, bigger brothers that were not made king, and then elders in the old city of the uh, nation of Israel. So he has more than been pondering about that. How am I going to govern this people? I needed something more. I needed wisdom. How will I be to judge these people? I need a wisdom. So he must have a point about that. Before the day he went to sacrifice, and God showed to him, saying, What do you want me to give to you? <gasps> so then the opportunity for him to ask, Oh, let me be richer than my dad. No? Let me be wealthier than my, all the kings. So, no, he said, Father God, you save me to, uh, to judge these people. I need wisdom to be able to do this job. God has, been, he has concluded that was what he needed most to be able to do right judgment. When they brought cases to him, the young man, I said, we judge between this man that is fighting for this land and this man that 
How will he know which one is right? How long will he do investigation? I need wisdom here. Because, then, because you ask for wisdom, I will give you wisdom, and I will give you much more than that. I will give you all the wealth you didn't ask for. I will give you everything, and give, God gave him peace. For 40 years, there was no war in Israel. When King Solomon became like the wisest person on us in that generation, people, kings everywhere are looking, coming to him to hear him speak, to hear his, his, uh, his wisdom. Why? Because he asked for that wisdom, and because he believed. And that is what examples say. When God asks you, what do you want me to give to you? Make sure you're asking something that is very important to you. The most important thing. Think about what is the most important thing to you before even he asks. Because that's most likely that man has decided that this is what he really needed. That man that was buying, he didn't need money. He was there begging for money. Every day he was there begging for money. But is that the most important thing for him? The most important thing for him to see. So when he heard about this Messiah and the, the Messiah can heal the blind and so, he was saying, if I can get the opportunity, the most important thing for him is to see. So here comes the opportunity. What do you want me to do for you? Is what Jesus Christ asked me. That he may see. He didn't say that I may get money to use food, to feed myself, no. That three people will give, donate me money, no. And that I may see. So when the Lord is, before you come before the Lord, make sure you decide what is your most important thing you want that you want to ask for. If he come to you tonight and say, what do you want me to give to you? What are you going to ask? You have many needs. No, yeah, you have many needs. And which one is primary? Decide that before he comes. Because he might come tonight and ask you. And this is the end of chapter 18. Lord, let us not ask for something that is wrong. Help us to ask the right thing. That we give us the rest of all this. He said that. Remember, brother, I would say, ask for Jesus himself. So you want to give, he said he gave you himself. If you have God, you have everything also. You say, well, I want the money that you have in your hand. I want the gold that you have in your hand. No. Get God himself, then you have everything. So that's probably what you ask, ask for God to come and take residence in you. So then when you have God, you have everything. That was what God was telling the Levites, the tribe of Levi. He said, yeah, you guys, don't divide among the 12 tribes. You, I will be your inheritance. I mean, God said it would be the inheritance that the Levites will own. The Jews, the rest of the Israelites, the, the 11 tribes, they can share the land. The 12 tribes, they are share the land because they say the Levites will be the 13. So you just have be your inheritance. That is the greatest inheritance. They don't have any land, but they give them some portion among the rest. But not like dividing a whole tribe for the Levites. You know what Let them divide the 12 for all these 12 tribes. But I will be your head. But just give all these families portions among yourself. Give them an acre. So that they have a place to stay. They have a place to farm. But you guys divide the lands into 12 tribes also. So, but say, deliver us. I am your inheritance. So that is the greatest inheritance. So when you have God, you have everything. And that is what I want. I want God to incarnate us, to be in me, to make me his son, so that we have God. Then we own the whole universe. And that is what God wanted to ask for. Praise the Lord. This is the end of chapter 18. We shall continue in chapter 19. God bless you.